I got interviewed by the Washington Post right after I signed it. And, and they said, Governor, you signed this controversial bill called Save Women in Sports. And, and I said, well, first off, it's not very controversial in Oklahoma. Uh, it's common sense in our state. This is the Daily Signal podcast for Monday, May 2nd. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Rob Bluey, and that was Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. I interview him about his state's turnaround and why he's leaning in to fights for parental rights and women's sports. We also read your letters to the editor and share a good news story about how one little boy is using his love of woodworking to help the children of Ukraine. But first, Virginia and I want to tell you about one of our favorite Daily Signal resources. If you are looking for an easy and entertaining way to keep up with the news you care about, then you need to subscribe to the Daily Signal's YouTube channel. The channel offers interviews with policy experts on the most critical issues and debates America is facing today, as well as short explainer videos that break down complex issues and documentaries that dive deep into the ways policy actually impacts people. Go ahead and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel today. You can search for the channel on your YouTube app or visit youtube.com slash Daily Signal. Now stay tuned for today's show, coming up next. Governor Kevin Stitt is leading a turnaround in Oklahoma. He set a goal of making Oklahoma a top 10 state in America by cutting taxes, growing the economy, empowering parents, and being a destination where more people call home. He joins us in studio today to talk about the big issues facing Oklahoma and a Supreme Court case that brings him to Washington, D.C. Governor, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Such an honor to be with you and uh, love coming to D.C. And uh, it's just fun getting up here and uh uh, checking out our nation's capital. Excellent. Well, you said that you are not satisfied with the status quo. You want to make Oklahoma the greatest state in this country. Tell us about your plan for turning around Oklahoma. Absolutely. Well, first off, you know, I come from the private sector. I'd never ran for public office of any kind. I started my company with $1,000 in a computer when I was 27 and grew that over the next 20 years. And so we have today 1,600 employees. Uh, so I'd ran a business and I was looking at my state struggling in 2017 and 18, and I was inspired to run. And, uh, and now, and I, and I ran to make Oklahoma top 10 state. So that's the, the mantra. That's the uh, aspirational goal that I always talk about with my cabinet and also Oklahomans. And we're doing that now. I mean, we literally uh, have the lowest unemployment in our state history right now. We're top 10 in the country. We have the, uh, the, the, the biggest savings account we've ever had in our state history. We're ranked fourth nationally in that. Uh, more people are moving into Oklahoma than ever before. We have 40,000 more people in the workforce. Uh, I cut taxes for every single Oklahoman in business last year. So people are starting to wake up uh, to the pro-business, pro-freedom policies uh, that we're rolling out in Oklahoma. So you're doing this at a time when there's great frustration here in Washington with the Biden administration and its policies. I mean, you go, can go down the list, not, not to mention the foreign policy challenges, but just here at home, <laughs> immigration's a huge issue. Inflation is at record highs. What are some of the policies, you've mentioned some, that you would, would like other governors to pursue that you have found success? And, and how do they get to that point where more and more Americans can enjoy the prosperity that Oklahomans are? 
Well, you know, I, I love when, I, especially when I'm in D.C., just to bring some Oklahoma common sense to the cabinet secretaries when I meet with President Biden or the Secretary of Energy. And it's really uh, it's something that's on everybody's mind right now is energy policy. And I'd like to talk about that for a second because Oklahoma, I think, gets it right. We get it. We do it better than any other state because we're an all of the above approach. We've been an energy innovator for over a century now. Uh, and we think to have an honest conversation about a transition, you have to talk about where we are today and what are the needs of Americans, right? So we're number six in oil production in the U.S. We're number four in natural gas. We're so proud of our oil and gas industry. But what people don't realize about our state, we're also number two in wind energy production. We've got some of the cleanest water, cleanest air in the country. Uh, we're leaning into hydrogen right now. But it doesn't make common sense to us to go out and buy oil from Russia or people. Because here's the deal. The demand is the same, right? We still are heating our homes and our businesses. We're driving to work and we're taking our kids to piano lessons or soccer practice. So the demand's the same. So when you choke off supply, when every policy from this administration is to try to hurt supply, and then we're going to make up for that demand by buying from people that don't like us very much, it doesn't make sense to us. Let's meet the needs from the resources we have. And we have resources in America, in the Oklahoma, and in states like North Dakota and Pennsylvania. Let's have honest conversations about moving natural gas with pipelines. It's the safest way to move oil and, oil and natural gas. Uh, but you have states weaponizing these different EPA rules to try to stop development. And so anyway, that, that one policy has led Oklahoma to be one of the uh, the cheapest electricity cost to the consumer and to businesses. So that before we're getting more companies moved to our state. And we need to push back and have some honest conversations to this administration about opening up uh, and meeting the demands of Americans by our own resources. Well, Americans are, 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 are in a sense, uh, choosing Oklahoma, as you mentioned, uh, the, the moves. And that's to happen at a time when COVID, I mean, I think is particularly significant. So what are some of the other attractions that, that you have in, in Oklahoma that, I mean, aside from the energy prices and the fact that you're cutting taxes, I mean, there must be other factors that are leading people to make that choice with their feet and move into your state. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, taxes, regulation. Uh, I, in, I, I instructed all of our uh, regulatory authorities to go through any kind of code and look at it. So we've reduced regulations by 25%. You know, over a 115-year history our state's been around, you, you automatically are going to have redundant, uh, duplicative code from one agency to another agency. So we've gone through and we've reduced regulations by 26%. Uh, I tell all of my governing bodies that we want to be clear with the rules, but we never want to play uh, gotcha with a company. We want to be really clear, but we want to let businesses go compete. And in Oklahoma, we value businesses. We appreciate capital being invested. We promote and applaud and thank companies for uh, hiring people. I come from the business world. I know how hard it is to put your capital on the line. I wanted to quit my own company a thousand times as we were struggling and I was having to mortgage my home. And, and, uh, and so we know how difficult it is. Uh, so we want to appreciate that. Uh, in my job, I'm recruiting companies in because I'm, wage growth is going up in my state. I'm recruiting uh, companies with higher medium incomes than, uh, than where we're at as a state. So we've moved the needle there. 
Um, I, I ultimately believe we need more taxpayers, not more taxes. And uh, more the economy booming has all boats are going to rise when we get when we get the economy going. And so that's kind of my job as governor. I've been the businessman governor in Oklahoma. Well, congratulations on the success you've had. Shifting to a, a different topic, which I also think is on the minds of a lot of voters right now, particularly parents, and that's education. We saw during COVID more and more parents paying attention to what's happening in their own kids' education because they saw it firsthand in their own living rooms and through, through the Zoom calls and other things that were taking place. Now, let me ask you this. There are a number of things that we've seen nearby in Virginia with the election of Governor Glenn Youngkin, where parents really catapulted him uh, into the governor's mansion. What are you doing in Oklahoma to empower parents and make sure that they have a seat at the table when it comes to their kids' education? Well, first off, I wholeheartedly have been pushing and trying to get across the finish line uh, just universal school choice and options. Uh, we have expanded last year what we call the scholarship bill. So people, uh, kids with IEPs, meaning they have some kind of uh, learning challenge. Uh, we want the, if a public school cannot meet that need, we want them to be able to take those funds and go to a school that meets their needs. But really, I want that for every kid. And, and what I mean by that is school choice should not be just for the rich. Uh, just because you have resources, you should we want every kid in Oklahoma to have the same opportunity. And why would I stand in the way of a kid uh, that's in a failing zip code in a failing school just because they lived in the zip code, right? If this school is not delivering for the parents or they're teaching what parents don't want or they are not getting the kid college ready or career ready, why are we standing in the way? Let's fund the student, not the system, right? We say that in Oklahoma. So let's let that parent choose what's the best option for them. It's not going to defund our public schools. I actually invested more in education than any other previous governor. I'm going to continue to double down on that. I know that's our future. But you can't micromanage every single classroom and every single book. and every. You can try to and you can think you can, but just inject some competition, right, into the system. And that would solve all the problems, allowing us to choose uh, where best fits our kids' need. Because there's not a one-size-fits-all. We know that. I've got six kids. Uh, not all of my kids learn the same way. I've got a kid that's dyslexic, and I've got this kid that needs this. Our kids don't all go to the same schools. And I want that for every single parent. Well, another issue that's on the minds of parents is, is women's sports and girls' sports. And you signed a bill in March called the Save Women's Sports Act. Tell us what that does and why it was important for you to take that action. Yeah, well, first off, I, I, it was my honor to sign that. It's called Save Women and Sports Bill. And I got interviewed by the Washington Post right after I signed it. And, and they said, Governor, you signed this controversial bill called Save Women in Sports. And, and I said, well, first off, it's not very controversial in Oklahoma. Uh, it's common sense in our state. Basically, we want to protect girls' sports. I'm not going to let a biological boy play uh, in a girls' sports and take away a scholarship or their ability to win and compete. Uh, I had o University of Oklahoma track athletes, these young women that are competing. I had one young lady that came to the press conference that was saying, thank you, Governor, because I work at Northrop Drummond because I graduated from OU. The reason I came to OU was because of a scholarship. And I can't imagine losing my scholarship to a biological male. Uh, so uh, I met 14-year-old girls that are the swimmers and soccer players and volleyball players trying to compete. And they said it would not be fair to compete in weightlifting against a biological male. 
And so anyway, it's common sense to us, and uh, and I, I was glad to glad to get that across the finish line. So it wasn't against any one person; it was really to protect girls' sports. That's absolutely right. Uh, let me ask you a couple of final questions here. One on the issue of crime and illegal immigration. Uh, you're, you're not too far from the border. Um, how has that issue impacted Oklahoma? And particularly as you look forward to the Biden administration wanting to end Title 42 and have an even bigger influx to the already record number of illegal immigrants coming in this country. Yeah, you know, again, it's common sense to us, everybody in Oklahoma, everybody in Texas. I've been down to the border with Governor Abbott. I've looked at it. We have to change a couple policies. Number one is remain in Mexico. Uh, President Trump had that. Uh, day one, this president canceled it. And basically, all it said was, if you're going to seek asylum into the U.S., then here's your court date, but you've got to remain in Mexico until that court date comes out. What Biden changed would make all the difference by going back to the Trump policies. He said, yeah, come on and use all the resources. Uh, welcome to the United States. Uh, get on every social program there is. We don't even know who you are. But here and show back up two years from now to your court date. Okay, So that's creating this mass migration. Until we change that, we're not going to be able to stop the mass migration that's coming. So we got to change that. Um, again, the drugs, all the stuff that's coming through from the southern border, it affects I'm the state right north of Texas on I-35. Stuff's coming right through all of our drug busts, the meth, the opioids, the fentanyl, all the stuff that's coming through is coming from the southern border. And so, yeah, it's a disaster for us. And I'm doing everything I can to, to fight back and give options to President Biden. The problem is they don't want to have real conversations. Everything is political. These people aren't business people. These people are politicians. And all they're thinking about is placating to their constituents or some, some radical folks on the left uh, instead of taking care of Americans. And it drives me crazy that you can't have an honest discussion about this. Finally, Governor, you're here in Washington for a Supreme Court case. Uh, two years ago, the Supreme Court made a big decision, the McGritt decision, which uh, had profound implications for your state. I know you've been critical of, of the, the aftermath of that and what's happened. What's at stake in this current case? Uh, bring our listeners up to speed. And I'm assuming that we'll see a decision on this sometime at the end of June. That's right. Yeah. Well, this is uh, the McGirt case. What it is, is uh, two years ago, the Supreme Court said that reservations still exist in Oklahoma. So there was a, uh, a bad guy named McGirt was a, convicted of child rape. He shows his Indian card and gets his conviction overturned. And so the Supreme Court said reservations still exist in eastern Oklahoma. So what does that mean? It's really thrown our state into turmoil. We now have lost the ability to prosecute crimes in eastern Oklahoma. So think about that. Think about uh, Boston. Uh, all of a sudden, the Supreme Court saying that's not part of Massachusetts. That's what it feels like for Oklahomans. Uh, Tulsa has a million people in the MSA, and now that's part of a reservation. So the district attorney, our state police, the, uh, the sheriff and the police cannot prosecute crimes. And so what we asked the Supreme Court, and thank goodness that they accepted to hear this case, was the Castro-Orte case. This is about protecting uh, an Indian child. So there was a five-year-old disabled, blind Indian girl girl who is actually the, a member of a tribe in North Carolina. And this bad guy uh, abused her, almost killed her. And so the state prosecuted her. And we're wanting to be able to prosecute those crimes. And right now, uh, the tribes and the federal government says the state can't prosecute those crimes because it was an Indian victim. So this is about law and order. This is about protecting Indian victims. And that's what this case is about. And, and hopefully the Supreme Court does the right thing and, and reinstitutes uh, uh, justice for, uh, for Oklahoma and so we can actually protect law and order. Uh, the other thing I think it's important for your listeners to understand is who is an Indian? 
In Oklahoma, we never had reservations. That's the way we've been since statehood until 2020. I'm an Indian. I've got my Indian card. My six children with uh, blonde hair and blue eyes, they have their Indian card. In other words, you can be one one thousandth, one two thousandth. There is no blood quantum. So it's so hard for our law enforcement to tell. You can't tell by looking who has an Indian card, who doesn't. And so now uh, we're having people target people with an Indian car tag or something like that because the feds own admission. They don't have the resource to prosecute uh, crimes that are below like murder and some of the major stuff. So they're not prosecuting car thefts. They're not prosecuting home burglaries if there's a native involved. So it's just it's it's disastrous right now for my state. Governor, thanks for bringing us up to speed on that case and talking about these other issues. We appreciate the common sense approach you're bringing, and hopefully other governors will look to you as a model for, for what they can do for the residents of their state as well. Well, it's an honor to be on with you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear lectures from some of the biggest names in American politics? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These events are free and open to the public. To find the latest Heritage events and to register, visit heritage.org events. Thanks for sending us your letters to the editor. Each Monday, we feature our favorites on this show. Virginia? Who's up first? In response to Fred Lucas's reporting from the southern border last week, David writes, the president of the United States must begin to support the law in place for preventing illegal immigration. Our southern border is a disaster waiting to happen. The entire issue is such a no-brainer. And in response to my recent podcast interview with Virginia Attorney General Jason Miares, Gene Parker writes, a great interview covering so many important topics. This young man really understands what it means to be an American. This is why education has to get back to the importance and value of teaching our kids. I am especially proud to have voted for the great conservatives whom he campaigned with. His mother should be so proud of him. Thank you for the good questions. Your letter can be featured on next week's show, so go ahead and send us an email at letters at dailysignal.com. At the Heritage Foundation, we believe that every single policy issue discussed in D.C., tells a story. So we want to tell it well. On the Heritage Explains podcast, co-hosts Tim Descher and Michelle Cordero take one policy issue a week, mix in a creative blend of clips, narration, and hard-hitting interviews to equip you on crucial issues in under 20 minutes. So get your story straight. Subscribe to Heritage Explains wherever you listen to podcasts. Virginia, you have a good news story to share with us today. Over to you. Thanks so much, Rob. Well, social media has created a lot of drama and some big problems in our world. But every now and then, it's a source of inspiration and a tool for good. And that is just how a young man in England is using his Instagram account. Gabriel Clark is 12 years old and is a self-taught woodworker. He has been making wooden bowls and little knickknacks since the first time he picked up his grandfather's hammer at a very young age, as he told the BBC. My parents would buy me bits of balsa wood, and my mom gave me her grandpa's hammer and nails, and I would just create these little sort of sculptures out of balsa wood. Gabriel launched an Instagram account to sell some of his homemade bowls to save money for a bike. But with only six followers, he was not getting many orders. Gabriel's father happens to be film director Richard Clark, and to support his son, Clark tweeted about the woodwork that his son was doing. 
Gabriel instantly started receiving orders and gaining followers on Instagram to the point that Gabriel wanted to use his newfound platform to do something to help others. Starting to realize that I could do something to really help. And Gabriel realized that that something was to raise money for the children of Ukraine. He crafted a bowl with two stripes on it, one yellow and one blue, to represent Ukraine's flag. Now, with over 220,000 Instagram followers, Gabriel announced that he was auctioning the bowl for the children of Ukraine. I'm hoping to raise five grand as, like, <laughs> yeah, as a goal. But Gabriel far surpassed his goal, raising more than $325,000 in the auction. All the money raised is going to save the children's effort to help the kids of Ukraine. Hundreds and thousands of children have obviously been affected by the war in Ukraine, and Gabriel's sending a little money their way to be a help. And as Gabriel says, he plans to keep on doing what he loves, which is making beautiful wooden bowls. Well, Virginia, thank you for sharing that story, and thanks to Gabriel for taking this step. As a father of kids myself, I can't even imagine what so many of those families in Ukraine are struggling with right now as they go through the ravages of war. So thank you for finding that story and sharing it with our audience. Absolutely. Well, we're going to leave it there for today. You can find the Daily Signal podcast on the Ricochet Audio Network. All of our shows are available at dailysignal.com slash podcasts. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review and a five-star rating. It means a lot to us and helps us spread the word to other listeners. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at Daily Signal and Facebook.com slash The Daily Signal News. Have a great week. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. For more information, please visit DailySignal.com.